is Bloomberg Surveillance. I view oil as a boom and bust business, so my view is that over time we'll actually run out of available supply growth. The Fed wants to do more and continues to communicate they'd like to do more, but ultimately are only able to deliver one more rate hike this year. Markets discount the future. When interest rates are very, very low, you're effectively discounting further out into the future at a time when it's harder to see what's out there. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Bloomberg Surveillance is Tuesday. Good morning in Florida. Good morning in Ohio. On Sirius and XM Channel 119, good morning in Washington, where they'll be watching the results tonight to a fairly well. 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130, you know, sort of a cloudy gray New York. And the gorgiosity of San Francisco 960, the Bay Area, we say good morning across this great nation as we discuss a little bit of politics, but a lot of economics, finance and investment. Uh, Alan Ruskin will join us on the dollar here in a moment, and other efforts of his economics, Deutsche Bank, Bloomberg Surveillance. We're brought to you by Cohn Resnick, accounting, tax advisory during times of growth, crisis or economic uncertainty, your business needs. The Cohn Resnick Advisory Group for the strategies to move forward. Find out more at KohnResnick.com, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, KohnResnick.com, and uh, shout out to Cohn Resnick for their continued support of what we do. We try to bring you voices like Alan Ruskin with Deutsche Bank, and he joins us now. Alan, good morning. Alan, good morning. Morning. There you are. Um, Alan, um, dollar strength, I want to get right to your wheelhouse. What is your call on the magnitude of dollar strength out 12 months? Yeah, we're actually uh, shaving back some of the uh, strength that we anticipated, in part because of the market's response, really, to the ECB. As you know, uh, uh, Tom, divergence has been the big story for the last uh, 18 months to two years, and uh, the ECB has in many ways led the charge. Now, I think they're, to some extent, I wouldn't say running out of bullets, but uh, their impact on the foreign exchange markets much is likely to be more muted. It's really up to the Fed, I think, to drive things forward. So we, we're scaling back our our year-end forecast uh, from uh, 0.95 on euro dollar to uh, parity. Um, so, you know, still a stronger dollar. Direction still very much maintained in favor of a stronger dollar, but uh, uh, the pace and magnitude are, are more contained. How do we get there? And the reason I'm asking is uh, the Bank of Japan stands pat. The Fed's expected to stand pat. Uh, and we're not seeing any real movement in uh, currencies other than a, a little jiggle around the status quo lately. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the emphasis has to be on what the Federal Reserve does. So, look, if the Fed's not going to be in play this year, then uh, we, you know, likely have to scale back a, a tad further. But not that much, because I think the range is, you know, uh, that we've seen over the last 12 months of 105 to 115 on euro dollar uh, is, you know, has been solid enough anyway. And it doesn't really even need the Fed to be in play to get us to 105. But if the Fed is in play, as I would anticipate, and as I think we'll see from, uh, you know, Janet, Yellen uh, this week, then you know that will be the kicker, I think. And and, and just keep in mind, really, a 10% move uh, in the foreign exchange market is not a huge move, certainly in terms of signaling the low point for euro dollar this year. Well, what did you make of uh, Kuroda-san and the Bank of Japan today? Uh, do they uh, are they still in play? 
I think they still are in play. I think they're still coming to grips with uh, the whole idea of negative rates, what the implications are, what the mechanics of negative rates are. Um, and, uh, you know, if, uh, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more in terms of negative rates from the Bank of Japan. I think uh, you are likely to see maybe them sort of branching out towards buying riskier assets or buying more risky assets going forward. So I think the, the Bank of Japan is in play, but it's uh, in a sort of a more muted form than uh, we've seen previously. How does this adapt and adjust the Fed? Uh, Alan Ruskin, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm misinformed on the dot plot. McKee is encyclopedic on dot plot dynamics. When we bring up the dot plot, there's the belief, the hope, whatever, and then there's the market pricing and reality. Which is right? <laughs> um, somewhere in between, I suspect. Really? I think, you think yeah. somewhere? Seriously. Somewhere in yeah, between. no, I think that's somewhere in between. I think the, the, the Federal Reserve is clearly sort of looking at a fairly normal cycle. I mean, they've obviously muted out their longer-term uh, equilibrium funds rate as well. The, the market is taking a, um, you know, a, a, a far less sanguine view in terms of the real economy prospects going forward. So I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong yet, Tom, but I think the 2008 uh, market view is, uh, you know, less hawkish effectively than, uh, you know, what we have for 2016 from, uh, the, you know, the Federal Reserve as such. So uh, the market's obviously taking a very, a very, very dovish line going forward. But I think that could change quite quickly. So, you know, if the Fed actually does tighten, for example, in June, then uh, the market's going to have to reconsider because there's really not much priced in there for 2016 and 2017 in particular. Well, isn't it really what, what you want to look at is inflation and what you think inflation is going to be that's going to drive the fed's decision so it should drive your investment decision uh, to some extent, although keep in mind inflation is a lagging indicator. So the Fed is, you know, like I think a lot of the market is hanging on to concepts that relate to predicting inflation and uh, output gap and spare capacity in the labor market indicators in particular. You know, what they tell us about spare capacity is absolutely crucial in that. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the, the interesting element you're seeing in the market at the moment is this decoupling between, you know, the employment data and some of the forward-looking signals in terms of financial conditions, the yield curve, and maybe even GDP, in fact. So, uh, you know, how long that will continue is, I think, the, you know, probably the key question for the market. I, I look, Alan, at, at the key question here of back-to-back -back central banks. I said this this morning to Francine Lacroix. I, I, I no one's looking at what Bank of England's going to do. And to me, it's maybe the most interesting meeting because they have to play, really play off what Mr. Draghi did. Did Mr. Draghi adjust what Mr. Carney will say on Thursday? I don't think materially, uh, Tom, because you know what the UK is still facing is uh, large-scale fiscal consolidation. So let's see what the UK budget actually brings. But I think the, you know, the expectation is there that you get some sort of contractionary influence there. The economy seems to be slowing in any event. Uh, so the mix is really you know, meant that the Bank of England, I can, you know, can think, will, will hold tight really for the next, for pretty much this year at this point. Um, you know, it looked much more likely that the Bank of England was going to tighten uh, and be the only other G10 central bank that would follow the Fed in terms of tightening this year. But uh, of late, I think one's had to scale back those expectations. Alan Ruskin with us uh, with Deutsche Bank. We're going to come back on that. Mike, uh, we have to interrupt this important discussion with Mr. Ruskin to look at the implosion of Valiant to new lows.
I would have said we don't have to do that right now. We can save it for another day. But it has not found a bid this morning as people digest non-GAAP and GAAP earnings and the mystery of this. I don't pretend to be up to speed on it, and we'll get a guest on this as we go. But to remind everybody, we've enjoyed moving from $243 a share down to 69 in a low of 61 And right now, Mike, we've broken through that March 4th low to 57. We're down 17% on this company. For those who uh, haven't been following the news, Valiant out this morning with a downgrade of its forecast, a significant downgrade of its uh, earnings forecast, and that has... uh, Obviously, investors concerned Valiant uh, business model under attack, and uh, it had been defended by Mr. Ackman and company, uh, the hedge fund yeah. investor. So uh, it, even if it's a, a relatively small company, it is uh, has an outsized presence in the news. And a very different structure here. Uh, Michael Pearson back from illness, clearly, but with three, basically three chairmen, which I don't pretend to understand, Eric Abramson. Ari Kellen and Whitaker as well out of Bridgewater, New Jersey. And uh, this bears watching. I, I, I don't know why I say that, Mike, other than stock price says a lot. And the way it's acting off the news of, I'm going to say, 45 minutes ago is unbecoming <laughs> to the mysteries that are out there. Uh, hitting a low of 57, um, 56.62 at 8.02, six minutes ago. As well. So there's Valiant. I, I don't mean to interrupt Mr. Ruskin on that, but this is moving in real time. We'll try to get some perspective on this, uh, this morning, uh, as well. Valiant Pharmaceuticals, uh, South on a really difficult earnings. Mike, help me with a data check here. The BOJ really didn't adjust the data, did it? It did not. Well, I mean, it did in the sense that people were, uh, uh, disappointed uh, that they didn't get any more easing. The yeah. Nikkei finished down by seven tenths, 170 yeah, points bit. on the day, and that yeah. hangover has spread to Europe and into yeah. U.S. markets ahead of the Fed. A little weight stronger yen, 112.83, a full stick, 112.83 stronger. The euro, 111, we had a 110 <coughs> earlier, 111.02 on the euro, uh, flat with some a little bit of dollar strength uh, this morning. Commodities are uh, really giving it up after a great run. West Texas, 36.36, down 82 cents. Brent, 38.61, down 92 cents. Oil, uh, soft gold down $13, 12.31 the ounce. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Campaigns of Florida's Marco Rubio and Ohio's John Kasich could hang the balance today. They need to win their home states to have a chance at catching Republican leader Donald Trump. Three other states hold primaries today. Big wins today by Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton could pad their leads. There is more confirmation of the death of the Islamic State Group's top military commander in Syria. A spokesman for the U.S.-led coalition battling in Iraq says it has been able to determine that Omar al-Shishani is dead after being wounded last week in an airstrike. Russian officials say its military forces have started leaving Syria. The surprise move by Russian President Vladimir Putin puts pressure on the regime of Syrian President Assad and opposition groups to reach a peace deal at talks in Geneva. Global News 24-7. 
24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike Lubar. Mike, Tom? Uh, Michael, thanks so much. Worldwide economics, finance, and investment. We are with Alan Ruskin of Deutsche Bank as we look at three central bank meetings. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. This month, your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers welcome spring with limited-time offers on select models like the sporty CLA and versatile GLA. Each engineered and priced to move. Visit MBUSA.com today. 10 News. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. U.S. futures remain under pressure today. Dow futures currently lower by 71 points. S&P's dropped 10. And Nasdaq futures lower by 13. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.93%. And European markets are also lower, led by greater than 1% declines in Spain and Italy. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, retail sales, PPI and Empire Manufacturing. And at 10 o'clock, housing market index and business inventories. Regarding earnings this morning, HD supply beat. And Valiant lowered 2016 forecast. Shares are down 16% pre-market. In other news, Morgan Stanley says Apple March quarter iPhone demand tracking well. And Mead Johnson rises 6% pre-market amid report companies said to be working with Lazard. Finally, some of your early Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Tiffany cut to neutral over at Citigroup. At Goldman Sachs, Hibbert Sports and Sanderson Farms both cut to sell. At J.P. Morgan, 3D Systems cut to underweight. And Whirlpool raised to overweight. Also, Red to Center raised to strong buy over at Raymond James. Live from the first breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen. All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type squawk, go in your terminal. That's SQU. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K, go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. In the middle of three days of central bank meetings, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Looking for investment views, experienced experts. I just click away, go to Invesco.com slash US to subscribe to the Invesco blog and follow at Invesco US on Twitter. Thank you, Invesco, for your support uh, this morning. Mike, it's just, does this ever happen before? Back to back to back central bank means it's enough to make Alan Ruskin sit up straight and smile. Well, it's not just uh, the big three, uh, the minutes of the, uh Royal Bank of Australia meeting just out. Uh, the, um, the, the, the Norwegian Central Bank is meeting this week, the South African Central Bank. Awful lot going on. And uh, for the most part, central banks continuing with stimulus. One of the questions that comes up, though, Alan, is uh, what effect it has. Uh, Bank of Japan went to negative interest rates and saw the yen strengthen instead of weaken. We note uh, the story on the Bloomberg this morning that bank lending has uh, gained less than bank deposits in Japan, completely the opposite of what the bank uh, is uh, uh, trying for. Uh, does it work anymore? Will the, the bank lending program that, uh, that uh, uh, Senor Draghi introduced um, actually work in Europe? 
Well, I think you know there are lots of different elements in uh, that the ECB is trying in terms of this large reserve additions to the through the LTROs and the corporate bond purchases. Um, look, at, at the end of the day, I mean, you, you asked me earlier about what would drive the euro and what would drive euro dollar down, and. I think what the central banks are facing is that they don't want to admit it, but the exchange rate channel is a powerful channel, and they need it. Um, and um, it's harder and harder to manipulate exchange rates lower, in part because you know some of the adjustment has already occurred. So, for example, in terms of negative rates in Europe, um, moving to more negative rates doesn't have quite the same exchange rate effect because. Um, you know, a lot of the accounts that would have already sold euros on the back of negative rates would have done so a year or so ago. So, um, you know, what you're seeing the world over, I think, is unorthodox policies can be used. Now, QE1 works uh, more than QE2, which works more than QE3. There's definitely diminishing returns to unorthodox policies. Well, what's your bet with the ECB and the bank lending program? Well, I think we will get some adjustment. Uh, you know, the, um, the, the the benchmarks in terms of the amount of lending that's uh, needed to uh, trigger um, very low or negative uh, borrowing from banks is, is is not. You know, that 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 benchmark is not very high, really. So there's plenty of incentive to uh, go borrow at negative rates. And uh, you know, I think from a funding standpoint, uh, from a point of view of supporting the banking system, the actions are, uh, you know, considerable. Whether the credit channel itself is particularly powerful is another exactly. question altogether. Yeah, that's right where I wanted to go is this, you know, the word I'm hearing now, Alan, is transmission or diffusement, which I used to hear a lot from Mr. Trichet. The idea that you can diffuse well-intentioned economic theory through a system is really open to question, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I think, you know, particularly in terms of the credit channel, you've got obviously got a demand side and you've got a supply side. So you're facilitating supply, um, you know, are you necessarily, you know, driving demand? You know, traditionally, supply does not create its own demand, really. So, you know, that's one of the problems I think you face, you know, or one faces with the credit channel. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, Tom, I think the, the channel we know uh, tends to work is the exchange rate channel, but of course that uh, tends to get into beggar thy neighbor type policy and everyone can't follow the same policy, which is part of the problem. And I think one of the problems we face from the global economy standpoint is the Fed has been the only guys on the other side willing to tolerate a stronger currency, but the stronger dollar has become disruptive as well, uh, you know, through weakening the equity markets, uh, weakening commodity prices. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no simple uh, gain here from a global uh, macro standpoint. Alan Ruskin, thank you so much. Just really, really interesting conversation, folks, given the swirl we're in. Mike, to me, it goes back to Orphanini's and the toolbox. We're using things in the toolbox. They, they, we didn't know they were there. They were like down below, you know, where you have the, the hacksaw you used for one project eight years ago. Well, they're rooting around. Uh, they're getting getting close to the, the end of what they have as tools, but the question is, do the tools that even we're getting to now work? Uh, yeah. And uh, as I said, interesting story on the Bloomberg today about how bank lending, which is what the Bank of Japan wants to stimulate, it's up a little bit, but bank deposits, the banks there are paying one-thousandth 
of 1%. They're paying less, uh, t- they're paying a tenth of a basis point, and people are rushing to put money into bank accounts, uh, and the banks can't lend it out fast enough, and it is uh, completely I, working the opposite of what the Bank of Japan exactly. wanted. Exactly, and, and with great respect for the theory out there, none of this is in the textbooks. Well, that's why it is theory, and it hasn't been tried. It's, you know, we, um, we will know a lot more. <laughs> I think somehow to keep us employed through 2016, that's a good thing. Futures, negative 11, Dow futures, negative 76. Important economic data, the pulse of the American consumer. We will do that next. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, though, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover, tristate.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover Above and Beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Welcome back. It's 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keen. And our economic indicators are brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that is ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Here's Vinny L. Judice with the retail sales figures. Michael, we have a decline down 0.1% in February. Retail sales nationwide economists had been looking for a 0.2% decline, excluding autos, also a decline, excluding autos and gasoline up, the retail sales control group up. Inflation, the producer price index down 0.2% in February as forecast, core excluding food and energy unchanged. Empire State Manufacturing Index, meantime, registering barely a positive reading, 062 in March. Again, retail sales down, the producer price index down, the Empire State Manufacturing Index just barely positive. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dale Judice. Let's go back to New York. Vinny, thank you very much. Well, I'm trying to make sense. I'm looking at the numbers here, trying to make sense of the retail sales figures and why the decline. It looks like a major decline in gasoline prices pushed down gas station sales 4.4% and uh, 3.3% the prior month, which is maybe uh, part of the reason we saw the big revision there. But a lot of declines uh, across the whole whole number of uh, categories. We try to give you more than the headline data, and the markets move on this. We're in four basis points on the 10-year. We have just just moved away from the 2% dash, 1.92%, the two-year yield in, Two basis points, 0.9358. Futures have a weight to them. I won't say they've deteriorated. And, Mike, what I see are the revisions. I think the revisions just is a gross moving from a positive set to a negative set as a general statement. And you add them together, it's 60 days of just a weight to the market. I think Howard Davidovitz would say, we're in the crapper. (laughs) <laughs> that would be his economic analysis. <laughs> we got to bring Howard on for 30 seconds every time we got a retail report to uh, to give us a one-word answer like that. Uh, Carl Tannenbaum, he doesn't talk like that. Uh, no, but, he doesn't. <laughs> but he will give us some very interesting analysis of this and what's going on in the economy and how it all relates to the Fed. He is chief economist at Northern Trust, former official at the uh, Chicago Federal Reserve Bank. Good morning to you, Carl. 
Good morning, Mike. Um, if you had to pick one word, and you don't have to, you know, do <laughs> go all Howard on us, uh, what would you say about uh, the numbers that we're seeing here? Well, I do like to use phrasing that's appropriate for polite company. So I would say modest. I think, uh, you know, you've gotten a lot of swings, as you've highlighted, in energy prices. Also, auto sales seem to have hit a little bit of a rough spot. Some concern about the financing side of that business mm-hmm. has taken some of the steam out of it in recent months. But I think, though, overall, uh, the consumer fundamentals are still awfully good. I just note for our listeners that while retail sales is an important number, it, it excludes a lot of things that we spend a lot of money on, including uh, rent and health care. That's why the personal consumption numbers, I think, are a bit more comprehensive, and those obviously have been showing some pretty nice year-over-year gains. Wages are growing modestly, I would say, but we're still creating a lot of jobs, and those who are going from not having incomes to having, you know, uh, reasonable, you know, restoration of income, I would say, Mike, is that is our, you know, really powering the spending uh, going forward. We've also tried to find out where all of the energy dividend, uh, you know, spending is, is going. And, you know, we've been able to tease out a little bit in restaurant sales, which would show up in, in mm-hmm. retail, and there's a bit of vacationing going on. But, again, the other sign is, uh, you know, people uh, are renting uh, much more often, and rents are rising. You don't capture that in this morning's numbers. Well, the one discretionary service-related category in the retail sales report is eating and drinking establishments, and that was up. Up 1%, and that is uh, really somewhat discretionary. If you're feeling bad about where the economy is going, that's one area you're going to cut back relatively quickly. Yes, and that's been rising really for the last uh, seven or eight months. You know, again, teasing out the, and you have to look at the sublevel data, the two of you know, in order to, to find these signs. But you do see people driving more so, the, and hotel stays, hotel occupancy is very, very high right now. So with that additional discretionary yeah. income from gasoline savings, people do seem to be getting away just a little bit more. Right. And having an evening out. Carl, I love how you put a balance to this, and we all agree there's some real positives out there, like the hotel angle you mentioned. I just took three months, six months, 12 months moving averages on the control group, and the bottom line is there is a rollover in those sort of curves, if you will, from August of last year. What is your confidence that March or April are different than December, January, February? Well, it's, it's, it's challenging to predict month to month. I think, you know, we typically look at things over a longer period of time. The year over year number, I think, is, is particularly important. Which is okay. Which is, which is fine. And I think, you know, again, what I'm getting a sense of, though, is that, you know, there, we had a little bit of a, a concern, a funk that we came into the beginning of the year with. We had a big correction in the equity markets. There was concern that there might be a negative wealth effect, to be honest with you, Tom. Yeah. And we just don't see much evidence of it. Um, and frankly, there hasn't been a lot of evidence that we had a massive wealth effect from the stock market yeah. gain that we had from 2009 through the beginning of 2015. So, um, I don't think we're at, at much risk. We seem to be creating spending power the organic and traditional way, which is which is uh, pretty yeah. impressive. Carl Tannenbaum with us on the negative wealth effect. Mike, we call that children. Uh, and we'll continue this discussion with Carl. Uh, with Carl Tannenbaum, we will continue this. He's with the Northern, the Northern Trust Company, Chicago, Illinois. You okay over there? Uh, definitely. I was just uh, thinking about this. There must be a Southern Trust Company somewhere. It's like the Fifth Third Bank in uh, Cincinnati. What is? It's an esteemed. You know, what is the Fourth Third Bank? Northern like? Trust Company. Yes, you know. long time. 
long time. Uh, I think they help finance uh, the Louisiana purchases. Everybody. We have uh, some other numbers out there, of course, as Vinny mentioned. The PPI, we'll ask uh, Carl about that. Uh, basically flat, and then Empire Manufacturing up. Carl Tannenbaum, futures at negative 13. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. It is make or break day as voters head to the polls in five states for primaries. Ohio Governor John Kasich says he's confident he will win his state despite being tied with Donald Trump in the polls. Kasich, when asked by ABC News today about the atmosphere at Trump rallies, says that's not how Americans behave. And when I look at the things that I saw at that rally and I see in rallies and the rhetoric, it's disgraceful, frankly. I mean, we're not a country that spends its time slugging each other in the aisles. The Obama administration is set to scale back plans to a new generation of oil and gas drilling in the Atlantic. That's according to an Interior Department official who does not want to be named. Environmentalists and U.S. coastal communities said the activity threatened fishing and tourism along the East Coast. A suspected bomb went off in Berlin today, killing a man who was driving through the German capital. Police believe the device was either in or on the car. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un says he will detonate a nuclear warhead and test launch a ballistic missile capable of carrying one in a short time. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Good morning, Mike and Tom. Both the NIT and NCAA tournaments get underway today, and locally, Fairleigh Dickinson has given us a reason to cheer. The Knights are peaking at the right time. They're just 18 and 14, but did earn their way into the big dance in a trip to Dayton tonight, where they'll meet Florida Gulf Coast at 6:40 to officially kick off the NC2A tourney as part of the East Region. That's followed by a pair of 11 seeds doing battle when Wichita State meets Vanderbilt. To the NHL, the Islanders had a comeback for the ages. They were being shut out at home, two nothing by Florida, only to score three times. In just under six minutes, Cal Clutterbuck with the game winner. The win pulls the Isles to within a point of the Rangers. For second in the Metro Division, Kyle Okposo on the meaning. Just take one glance at the standings. We've got a couple games in hand. You know, slowly we're going to make up those games, and um, those games are only good if you win the games. So every two points is huge. The Islanders will drop the puck in Pittsburgh tonight. The West Coast has been unkind to the Devils, trounced 7-1 to in Anaheim, thanks to the first career hat trick by Jakob Silverberg. In Grapefruit League, the Mets fell to the Tigers 9-2, to but the story is welcome back, David Wright. Taking at-bats as far as you know, timing and stuff, and that was really secondary to you know, going out there, simulating some at-bats, you know, in a game-like situation, uh, you know, taking some swings, trying to you know, run to first base, run the bases a little bit, so I thought it went, it went great. Right went one for five in a minor league intra-squad game. Yankees had the day off. Hard to believe, guys, just 20 days until opening day. And that is your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike, Tom? Uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate it. Valiant is in a call right now. The stock just moments ago got a modest bid. And the headline is simple. Valiant in confidential talks with parties on non-core Divestitures. The stock is down 17% uh, percent this morning and a whole string of headlines. We'll go into this a little bit later, but uh, Valiant has become really a most interesting uh, Wall Street uh, story on their accounting and on their future. Uh, we're with Carl Tannenbaum, Northern Trust. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
This portion report was brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Let Ray Katina show you the way to affordable luxury driving. Visit any one of their 16 beautiful showrooms in New Jersey and New York. To call 1-800-NEW-AUTO or go to RayCatino.com for special offers. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. stock index futures extending declines amid retail sales data that rekindled concern that the world's largest economy isn't immune to slowing growth overseas. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 11 points. Dow E-mini futures down 84 NASDAQ E-mini futures down 16, and the DAX in Germany is down 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 11.30 seconds, the yield 1.92 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.93 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.7 percent, or $1.01 to 36.16 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 7 tenths percent, or $9.10 to 12.36 an ounce. The euro, $1.1119, the yen, 112.71. That report showed U.S. retail sales dropped a tenth of a percent in February, and the prior month's gain was revised to a decline. That calls into question the narrative that bigger gains in consumer spending would propel economic growth at the start of the year. Separated data showed wholesale prices in the U.S. fell two-tenths percent in February, held down by lower fuel costs that have kept inflation languishing below the Federal Reserve's goal. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Moskov, thank you very much. Um, some other numbers. Oh, 8.48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. The past decade and a half have been tough for American workers. The median household brings in less money than it did in 2000, adjusted for inflation. The percentage of adults without jobs has risen. Recent economics research gives trade with China some of the blame. Politicians and voters have taken notice. Raising trade barriers is a major theme of the surprisingly successful presidential campaigns of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. That got me wondering. There are other wealthy countries where the average worker seems to have fared better since 2000 than in the U.S. Can that be chalked up to higher trade barriers? It doesn't look like it. To get a sense of where things might be going better for workers, I used the United Nations Inequality Adjusted Human Development Index, which combines income measures with health and education indicators. Then I looked at the International Chamber of Commerce's Open Markets Index, which measures a country's openness to trade. Of the 26 countries that score higher than the U.S. on the Human Development Index, all but three also score higher on the trade openness ranking. Free trade and widely shared prosperity are clearly not incompatible. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Tag Tom, you're it. Yeah, Carl Tannenbaum with us as we look at the American economy. And uh, the backdrop here is a sharp revision negative to retail sales. Markets move on the news and good Mr. Tannenbaum, Dr. Tannenbaum, pushes against it and says, eh, there's some glimmers of optimism out there as well. Carl, I just made up a chart, which I'm hesitant to say in March will be my chart of the year. It's a 30-year look at real GDP, which has migrated on a regression from under 4% to under 2%. 
How do we turn that around? It's the polit- politics of the moment. It's the economics of the moment. Retail sales, the consumer's not going to do that. How do you turn around real GDP? Wow, uh, that's a weighty question for uh, early morning. But it is. I think the long-term issues that we've got are really to to see what we can do to improve our potential rate of economic growth, Tom. Uh, the chart that you may be looking at is similar to others that I've seen that take a look at a 10-year moving average over, let's say, 40 or 50 years that show the decline. And, of course, the economists would tell you that you build up to that with two quantities. One is the population or labor force growth mm-hmm. and productivity growth. Obviously, uh, we've got baby is retiring and deservedly so, but we'll need to renew the labor force in numbers and also skills. Uh, the discussion really centers on in that realm around in immigration, which is a huge issue so far on the campaign trail. But from a numbers perspective, typically immigration is very beneficial to those countries that assimilate well. And then on the productivity side, we've got a lot of uh, thesis out there as to what we might do or 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 not do, frankly, to to increase that level. A lot of the public spending on infrastructure that we need in order to remain economically fluid has been stunted by the fiscal austerity that's been needed, not even so much at the national level, but as you know, a lot of this is handled at the state and local level where finances in many places are a lot more tenuous. And then also I think that there's an opportunity for whomever is sitting in whatever seats next January to find those near-term incentives to get a little bit more investment in R&D and CapEx going so that if we can make the investments today, we'll reap the returns tomorrow. And the dire predictions of economists like Bob Gordon or Larry Summers will not come true. Um, My name is Carl Tannenbaum, and I'm running for president of the United States. You you endorsed that comment. (laughs) I I, I was a little taken aback. I mean, uh, Bob Gordon is is not really uh, making dire predictions. He's just saying productivity won't be as high as it was. Well, Mike, his last uh, paper before he wrote the book, I think, was entitled The End of American Growth. So I I don't know how much darker you can get uh, (laughs) on that front. Well, perhaps he stole a page from the tabloid newspapers and exaggerate the headline to sell copies of the paper. Uh, Here's my question for you, Carl. Uh, We were talking earlier with our political analyst, C.J. Dion and uh, Chuck Todd, who suggest that uh, given the nature of the campaign we've had, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to govern next year. So what happens, you're, you're suggesting that there are things they could do to get productivity going and the economy going. What happens if nothing happens? What happens to the economy? Mike, it'd be hard to imagine an environment where governance is harder than it is today. I'll just say that at the outset. So I'm not sure that we're going to see such a paradigm change uh, as we, we deal with a new administration. I will say, though, that there's a body of work in economics that finds that, that uncertainty, policy uncertainty, is the enemy, really, of business progress uh, and market progress. And we're certainly getting tested on that front uh, today. I think gridlock, the status quo, is not good fiscally because of the hill of health care costs and Social Security costs and pension costs we have at the local level that we're facing. We do need to face those as soon as, as possible because kicking the can down the curb is going to run into a wall uh, in the not-too-distant future. When you look, Carl, at the makeup here, and this has been the arch debate, and it can go either way, optimist or pessimist, do you look at the all-in economy or are things so distorted that you X out trade and even energy dynamics right now? Which is it? 
I think you have to be very careful, including the energy dynamics, because it's challenging to understand where energy will settle in and what the American component of that will look like. Our own view is that over the long term, you know, energy demand globally is going to be strong, and the supply glut that we have now will eventually dissipate. That should be good for our producers and bring that back uh, to being an important contributor to our economy. But the fundamentals that we talked about earlier, which are, you know, what is our potential for growing, are the ones that are going to be much more lasting, and I think those need to be the focus of policy. Before we let you go here, we have to ask about the other numbers out today. Uh, do you pay a whole lot of attention to PPI, essentially PPI file demand flat, and then um, the, the, the New York uh, ISM numbers? So the PPI, Mike, we've had kind of a quiet recovery in, in energy and commodity prices over the last several weeks, uh, taking the edge off of that uh, on inflation, and uh, that certainly will feed into the conversation that begins uh, with the Fed today, where I think the numbers are better than they thought they'd be a month ago. It'll be a very interesting yeah. set of discussions. Carl, thank you so much. Carl Tannenbaum, the Northern Sur- Trust uh, Company. Surveillance correction here. I said uh, New York ISM. They're not the ISM. They don't come from the purchasing managers. They come yeah. from a survey by the New York Federal Reserve Empire Manufacturing. It was up to positive 0.62 from negative uh, 16.64, so a big change there. Well, I'm glad you bring it up in that, folks, we're buried by tertiary economic data. And what I find interesting is some of it, like the Dallas inflation statistic, has real merit. Mike, what do you think of all these, you know, sub, sub, sub indices like empire manufacturing? Well, they don't tell you much about what's going on in the in the national economy, and there's no relationship between the yeah. empire number and the national ISM number. But if you put them all together, it gives you sort of a region-by-region region picture of how things are going. Yeah. And uh, we have seen a deterioration across the country, and now if yeah. this one's leading us back up again, that would be good news. Yeah, I, it's just fascinating. Folks, all of our interviews on radio, out at iTunes, out in podcasts. We are thrilled to reoffer that to you. Our team is doing a great job of getting those out. Go into iTunes, search Bloomberg Surveillance, uh, and you will find uh, any number of good interviews, including Richard Haas uh, yesterday with the Council on Foreign Relations and Dr. Tannenbaum and Alan Ruskin uh, and others. Our futures negative 11, Dow futures negative 83. I'm going to call it a two-week churn to the market with a better equity framework. We forgot the Dow closing 17,229. The VIX, <coughs> not at mass complacency, but nevertheless very good, 16.92, way below the 20 uh, long-term average. Yields come in today risk off, off the retail data. They were in earlier and come in more, ever more in, 1.93%, but still uh, a churn to the market. And, you know, the press conference tomorrow, what, what does she not say? At the press conference, what does she not say? <laughs> she doesn't give. She doesn't any say kind the word Draghi. Yeah, we know that. And she doesn't talk about um, dates or times. <coughs> you know, data dependent. Yeah, actual progress. Green shoots. Remember green shoots? We were younger. Green shoots was a few years ago. Futures negative eleven. Dow futures negative eighty four. Another hour of Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 